Hi folks, buongiorno, and welcome to Everyone is a Coach, the new interview program by Coaching Deep Work. The concept is simple. In a world filled with gurus and coaches, I'm asking the exceptional, bright, and eccentric people I know about their blunt opinions on things like well-being, growth, career, and about coaching itself, buzzwords, and all the related nonsense. So remember, everyone is a coach. I really had a blast talking with my friend Kevin Bova, who's been a project manager in the New York entertainment industry for almost 25 years, building unique shows for luxury brands. Kevin will tell us how the initiative Fashion to the Frontline was able to really help hospitals in New York during the first COVID crisis, and why it's so important that to release stress, we all off-gas. Andiamo. How do you describe yourself when you describe what you do to a complete stranger? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. How do I do that? I haven't done that in so long that I don't even remember. When I worked for... (laughs) You started when you were 18. No, I started younger. I started when I was 16. I wasn't very good at school and I went to the same high school as my sister and my sister was like the star of all the shows and the high school that I went to the football team was like the theater kids like we didn't have football like we didn't have shit like that we had like theater that was like what the kids did that's very cool it was it was like a public art school so like instead of like having jocks you had like the actors and shit like it was just like that because my sister was like top of like the actors and actresses and she was a star of every show she was three years older than me so she was a senior when i came in as a freshman it was expected that i was going to kind of carry on the torch like i I just never liked to be on stage no i just don't like seeing theater like Like, and I'm in a dark enough spot where I can't speak for long enough. I'll just go to sleep. (laughs) But I felt like I had to do it. I don't mind being on stage. I love performing music on stage like that. Right, right, right. You're also a musician. I have no interest in acting. I did it because also when you would do the shows at school, they would make them, they were very serious about the shows there did not look like high school shows. They look like professional, like they put all of their money and energy in. So the kids would have to stay from like, it would start practice for it would start at like three o'clock and you wouldn't get home until like 10, 11 o'clock sometimes. Wow. I did like my first year, I did like two shows as like someone in the chorus or whatever. I hated it, but got me out of the house, gave me an excuse to like get high and like have fun, make out with people and be an asshole. And like, you know, it was great. How do I <laughs> do this, but not do that? And so I was like, I could probably do lighting for the shows or start building the shows. Because right. like there was a there was a whole stage crew class actually where I met Stevie because he was in stage crew as well. Right, <clears throat> and it was kind of uh, organic. It wasn't like a like a precise decision, but it right, it just kind of happened. Yeah, yeah. So I started doing that in my high school. They also modeled it after a college, so you were able to take whatever classes you want. You could pick your free periods and like all that stuff. So I stopped doing like academic stuff and I started loading up. I was like, okay, I'll take stage crew first period, and then I'll take lighting second period, and then I'll take sound third. Like I just started lo- loading up on all that stuff, and then I'll take gym hockey fourth, and then I'll do music fifth and like i had a whole schedule just filled with nonsense like none of it there there was like no math class to be seen because i just didn't go to it (laughs) 
Well, but it, it, it was nonsense. But at the same time, for someone that worked so long in the entertainment industry, it makes absolute sense. Like looking oh, yeah. back, looking back for someone that takes lighting and sound and scenery classes, makes yeah. absolute sense. No, it makes perfect sense. But at the time, it was nonsense because I'd be like, you, you need to take social studies. You like you like you know like one of those kids and like just didn't go to it and. I, by the time I was in my senior year, I think I had enough credits to be like halfway through my freshman year because all the stuff I was taking, none of it applied to like being an actual student. So I wound up getting my GED. But prior to that, I think it was my junior year, I started doing fashion week because oh. we had what was called regents week. The school was off for a week because everyone was taking regents exams, which is like a New York and a California thing, I think. And that's it. Like these tests, these specialized tests that like you get like an extra certificate on your butt. Like this was a thing you did. So like, and that coincided with something called SYNC, which was mm. a student produced performance. It was absurd. It was students produced and performed play musical, basically. You wrote your own musical, you put it on, blah, blah, blah. Oh, sounds wonderful. You'd be there from 7.30 in the morning until 11 o'clock at night, nonstop working on this thing to get it ready. It was a nice transition into Fashion Week for me <laughs> because <laughs> that's just what I started doing. You got used to the schedule, basically. Yeah. And during that, just, I met someone who was like, man, I just did, I just built the runway for Donna Karen. It was so cool. All I needed to do was bring him. He had like a framing hammer with him. And I was like, I could do that. So I called them up. I called up BLT, actually. I was 16. I like put on an accent and everything. I was like, hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, my name's Kevin Bova. I met uh, this guy. He works for you. His name's Jojo. I met him out at Frisco Fest and like made up this whole thing. And like from like the school phone, everyone's around me laughing. I was like, I'm going to get a job. Watch this. Thinking that's what older people sounded like. So <laughs> they well, did, it, did it work? Yeah. Yeah. I wound up like two days later having a call. Like, like I, I did some fashion show with them. And then like I started doing more work with them. Did Fashion Week actually with them. And I was in Bryant Park. I was doing lighting and I was doing, I was really focusing on lighting. So I started working for lighting companies. Because that's the your first calling from fashion. I, I don't know when or why it shifted. I think it was just easier. Platforms together and, you know, slap a flat together. I could stretch things. It's great. Except what I was doing at school. I can do this. So I started when I was 16 working freelance and 18 is when I started to really try and get full-time work with it. At this point, for more than half of my life. Yeah. When I think about that, I get nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good it's good to think about it in retrospect like thinking about it from the standpoint of a 16 year old probably it doesn't make any sense but from now from 2021 looking back it's easier to join the dot i wanted to ask you you were part of a beautiful initiative that was called fashion to the front line how did that work out that was pushed by nick ponton he just called me and was like do you have any fabric yeah i'm sure we have a ton yeah. of it <laughs> um, he's like, I have an idea. These people need masks. Like, Let's just start doing it. He wanted me to just prep kits. You start prepping kits. He's like, and then we'll just figure it out from there. <laughs> like, And it kind of evolved into more of me prepping all of the patterns. Mm -hmm for all of the tailors because he called all of his atelier workers right. from Zimmerman and from all the shows he had done. He had something like 30, 30 to 40 seamstresses on standby. I convinced SBI to put energy towards it and have people help me put these things together. 
Right. And it was up to Nick to figure out like how to connect those two in a safe way. Well, that's a great idea. That's a, the really, we, we hear a lot about like entrepreneurial ideas, but that's really push comes to shove and there's a real emergency. I think that was a great initiative yeah. that happened like really fast. Really fast. And and all, all the credit to him, he did it all from his house, but like all the credit to him in the sense that that one part of putting all of our stuff and all of the tailors together in a safe way, that was the part that scared everybody. Because like we talked about, well, we can clear out all of SBI 2 and like bring in some sewing machines and have the tailors come out here. At that moment in time, it was just like, no, no one can touch or talk to anyone or anything and no one can be around anyone. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this was March, so when people were afraid to go out and thought that the air would kill us. Yeah, yeah, people that were afraid of air. Like, in figuring that out, it was like, okay, well, Kevin, maybe do you want to drive it to them? And I was like, well, I don't know how much more I can do. I'm pushing everything at SBI. I'm now accepting donations of fabric. I'm processing it all. I'm not, I'm not delivering it. He had talked to a logistics company. Basically, they donated about three months of trucking, which... If you think about it, is wow. an insane amount of donation. I mean, they were going over a river, so they had to pay the toll, uh, mileage, gas, all that. What they were doing is they would come out every Tuesday and Thursday, okay, and pick up what we had processed. So you kind of like every week you had to meet that deadline. Yeah, we had we had two deadlines like a week that had to get made, and it was it was nice because if there were thirty tailors, it would be like, all right, I need to have fifteen ready by Tuesday, and then another fifteen ready by Thursday, and then I have you know Friday and Monday to kind of build up a little bit more and like try and get ahead of myself, and then the truck driver would then deliver to each tailor. Right, right, right. Everything was like isolated. Yeah. And then like as he was delivering, he was also picking up. And so these trucker this truck driver was just cyclically going and going and going. And at the same time, we we had deliveries of donations where I would just get piles of stuff. Would have to sift through the stuff, be like, all right, what's worthwhile, what's not? Uh, what are we gonna do with all this that you know that isn't worthwhile? In the beginning, I'd say for the first two weeks, people were into it at SBI, but then as the fear of the pandemic started to increase, people's uh, motivation to continue it started to decrease yeah which rightfully so they're not getting paid for it but like they're in a building with people like it is scary yeah. uh, but i stuck through it because then i found the easy way to do it where i didn't need help anymore where i was able to start ripping up what i needed processing it on the laser where the laser was just cutting the patterns for tailors so now that cut down the tailor's time so it basically sped everything up and cut out a ton of labor that's fantastic i i didn't I think we spoke about this passage, but I think it's a very important one. I was doing it for at least from March until June. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to say it, it was a it was a while, and I kept on going. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're gonna stop this week, and then I just keep on doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is great that you had that, you know, flexibility. But the structure that you were working allowed you to kind of like keep going. This is Lorenzo at Coaching Deep Work. I help event producers, executives, and creatives organize the schedule of their professional life. Do you want to increase your productivity, improve your organizational skills, or just design a better work-life balance? Contact me at coachingdeepwork at gmail.com for a free 30-minute consultation. It's coachingdeepwork, as one word, at gmail.com. 
I used to have this friend, or I still have this friend, I just don't talk to him that much. He was a, uh, a boom op. Like, he did a lot of, like, you know, television and film. And he used to do lighting. I used to, when I was 16, working for lighting companies, he was like a guy that I would work with every once in a while. He's just, he's a very different kind of person than me. Mm-hmm. He used to tell me all the time about us, us tech people and theater and, and entertainment and events. We're, we're one step away from the military. We can take an entire destroyed village and turn it into a city in a day. And I'd be like, dude, I stretch fabric. Shut up. <laughs> 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 it's interesting because because it, that's really, in a nutshell, your attitude. I remember you, you joking about, for example, the take it down a peg award yeah when people <laughs> yeah, take it down a notch yeah you know people will get get complimented and, and awarded with like employee of the year and you're like what about take it down a notch <laughs> you know it's funny when stevie first started doing this and clearly nothing's changed he was so nervous and about not being the best at something or like he's not going to be able to master it. Or right. It was all of these things of like, he was taking it unbelievably serious. And this was, I don't know, when did he start with SBI in like 2012? And this is when we used to like do a lot of our estimates from Spring Lounge because <laughs> we would like oh, go I on. See. Yeah, yeah the, yeah, the bar in uh, Spring Street. Yeah, like we'd go and do like our like, you know, pitch call, like sales pitches. And then we'd go back to Spring Lounge, talk it sure. over, do an estimate, blah, blah, blah. And and like he was like talking about like basically like concerned about like either not being good enough or not doing enough blah 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 and I had this whole spiel I would give him where I'd be like what we do at best it's fun there, there there's no real it's not real Lynn Hayes when I was 18 I was running the uh, one of the bigger venues in Bryant Park for Fashion Week she had told me like I was freaking out about something and she was the first person who told me like Kevin no babies will die right right it's just rags on a runway yeah like it's just fashion and like she had said that to me the first time she said it to me i was like yeah you're right and like yeah, totally yeah changed my perception i would try and pass it on to stevie but it would never work so like finally i came up with a new spiel i would give him where i was like look if we for whatever reason found ourselves in a post-apocalyptic environment right where the only thing that we were allowed to do was what we were doing yeah. prior to this apocalypse the cupcake maker would be more successful than you and i <laughs> Yes. And he was like, well, what do you mean? Like we could shift to building houses and like build it. I was like, no, 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 no. The rule in my hypothetical apocalypse is that we have to continue doing what we do. Like that's the rule. <laughs> so now the cupcake maker can switch to making real food, but not allowed. You gotta make cupcakes. But guess what? That cupcake will still be better than stretching a big fucking piece of fabric <laughs> over a wall and building a fashion show and making something for Tom Ford. It's not gonna matter. Then this happened. Right. And I was right. But you also told me that that with fashion to the front line was the project that you felt the most connected. Where like what we do does not matter in the slightest where like once the apocalypse did come, there was no money coming in for the guys that build fashion shows. Like I was actually putting like time and sweat into something that actually mattered yeah. for the first time ever. Right, and right. fashion in the front line, I, it was actually really cool to do. I would deliver a couple to like some nurses and doctors that I personally knew. And like I'd get texts just like, you know, my coworkers cried when they got here. It's like, are you kidding me? Oh my God. To the point where 
um, I had a friend, she worked in NICU, but because she worked at NICU and she wasn't in ER and she wasn't like on the COVID floor, they were stripped of all of their PPE. So they had nothing and there was still COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were still terrified. So they, they had nothing. So I started getting her bags of stuff because they had absolutely nothing. So Fashion to the Frontline basically supported like the pediatrics unit at this hospital yeah. for a couple of months because they didn't have anything to the point where we, we made them surgical caps as well because they had they gave away everything. So we made them these surgical caps that had buttons on the side. So okay. they no longer had to wear the masks on their ears. And like, it was just like a cap that had their hair tied back. Oh, I and see. Totally outfitted them. And they were the most thankful group of people like I've ever seen in my life because they all of a sudden had protective gear again. Like we initially tried to go through the the hospital but what the hospitals would do they'd be like yeah we'll take it they would take it and throw it into a storage room and they'd never see their way out to the hospital right. even if the doctors and nurses needed it they were just trying to stockpile so they would never give it so these doctors wow. were still using the same surgical mask for like a week or two so once we discovered that we need to find someone in these hospitals like a doctor or a nurse and give it to them they're fighting an internal war with other hospitals to get those and so they're stockpiling when they can't right so we stopped going through hospitals and just found people to give them to so then they can dole them out and we would send them a pack of like 300 a week. And like, they would just like be giving them out. They could use those for as long as they wanted to. Like if they washed them right way, if they hand washed them, laid them out to dry, they could use those until they fell apart. We we gave, we made, I want to say close to 10,000. Congratulations. That's basically all on you and, and tailors mm -hmm. that were involved. Incredible. A lot of the tailors were working for other fashion houses that were doing the same thing. Right. Only the fashion houses were like selling them. Tailors were making $3 a mask, which doesn't sound like a lot, but like when you yeah, make, yeah. you know, if you, if you're a good tailor, you can bang one of these out in like 10 yeah, minutes. Right. You could just kind of cycle through them and make, if you give up 300 in a day, you just made 300 bucks for the day to like do these things. It's not bad for pandemic money, you know? Absolutely. But a lot of them preferred doing it for us because they knew that one, they were being donated and that they were getting directly into the hands that needed them. Of course. And not not really being used for clout. In fact, Donna Karen caught wind of it at some point and spoke to Nick Ponton directly about it. Loved it and you know wanted to get some of the masks out to this hospital in Southampton, I think. And then she wanted to be a part of it, but she started going down the road of like, you know, we can get these made, you know, in China and they can be made out of lycra and like it could be like oh, oh, oh. And Nick was like, yeah, that sounds great. All right, bye. Like, all right, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> like, let's, let's continue what we were doing. And like, you know, every once in a while, like an opportunity like that would pop up. Nick would take the call and Nick would talk to them and it would be the same thing of someone who liked it, someone who wanted to be a part of it and someone who wanted to heavily monetize and manufacture it. And Nick would yeah. be like, thank you, no thanks. And well, yeah, you was also the watchdog of this thing and not, you know, doing doing nice initiative and getting yeah. the award for right. something that is just like an act of like true entrepreneurial spirit and yeah. initiative that has no reward. Yeah, and he truly, truly gave a shit about that end of it. In fact, when masks started to become more common and hospitals needed them less, we still had a ton left. And it was like, all right, let's start going down the list. Like, who's next? Yeah. We like Because they have it, but everyone doesn't have it. All right, let's find nursing homes. Natalia, who was his partner slash assistant for Shades of Grey, got in touch with an Indian reservation. I, I forget who 
at the time um, was in desperate need and mailed them out to them. Like she organized the whole thing, got it out to them. And right before I left SBI, I got like a letter. It was, it was like this whole thank you from the entire tribe, like, like handwritten notes, like wow. thank you, fashion on the front line. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Nick. And I'm like, holy oh, shit. Yeah. This, this is not a dumb fashion show. <laughs> no, it's not. But also yeah. it's like you guys were relentless and you were focused on something like really simple, but that a lot of people lose sight of because they're thinking in the same way that we're thinking before of production and business. Right. And I, and I brought up the whole like the military, we're one step away right. from the military because I was always like, you're a schmuck. Um, but <laughs> and, I, and I didn't want to give him the satisfaction of being like, I understand what you're saying. And, and there is an aspect of what you're saying that is correct, though I would never in a million years compare ourselves to the military whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's a group of people who know how to take like a pile of nothing and turn it into something really fast and like push through it and not care about the schedule and just get it done. Like, right. That is the comparison. But yes. I would never give him the satisfaction of being like, you're right. Oh, but that's perfectly said. Tile of pile of nothing and find the resources and the time and the skills to just get it done and push it through. That's a wonderful definition for what I consider sometimes an industry that was like a necessary evil. For yeah. many, in many, many different ways. I wanted to ask you, in 2020, did you feel like for the first time in your life you might have to change career? Oh, hell yeah. I, that's still on my mind. I, I just got a new job. It's in the same field. Being as optimistic as possible about it, but there, there's no industry. What the hell am I going to be doing? I don't know. Prior to this, it was like, all right, what are my skills? We get paid well in this industry because we have a bunch of different skills. And like you make this, what this one guy at a company that I became friendly with, the, the owner of Standard Transmission, calls people like us unicorns because we know how to draft, we know how to manage, we know how to estimate, uh, yeah. we know fabrication. Like we know enough about all of it to be able to just do it all in one right. person. And he would say like, I don't feel like finding all of these unicorns. Like. I'll find people that are good at management. I'll find people that are good at drafting. Right. And then I'll take one unicorn like you and you can make sense of both of them. I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I understand what he's saying. <laughs> right, right. I, I see it not in terms of like unicorns, but in terms of like Swiss Army knife. That that I think is probably a, a more down realistic way of putting it. It's a Swiss Army knife. I like that better than unicorn. Because it's like, is that strange that like for years and years we've been i don't want to use the word community but we developed a relationship that were like seasonal with clients we will always see them because every month every two months every three months every six months every year sure. there was the recurring calendar event and and now everything is disjointed these relationships just kind of like dissolved i was trying to stay ahead of this from the minute it happened because of all of my we don't matter like what we do doesn't matter thoughts for my entire life i've right. kind of been prepared for this <laughs> like, <laughs> right? like none of this matters and like if, if anything were to tip the scales like there would there would be nowhere to go so like i i've been like you know trying to stay ahead of it and when i was like I need to shift careers. The first thing I thought was like, well, shit, man, like I've worked my whole life to make these relationships. Like that's kind of my ace in the hole when it right. comes to getting a job. Without these relationships, like who am I? Like, like, am right. I worth, am I worth what I command without these relationships? Until I realized like, shit, this might go on for so long that like these people might just go do something else. Right, right. They, they might die. 
<laughs> it is a pandemic. Yeah, and after also, all. <laughs> it's an important point because previously you said none of this really matters, but the f you put forward the fact that you cared about your work and your reputation in building those relationships. Oh, so sure. Those relationships did matter despite the fact that the work itself was not right. of any valuable. Nobody cares. No, about, it, ser it serves like the nobody. 2012 X, Y, and Z fashion show. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It serves nobody. It does nobody anywhere in the world any good. <laughs> but I was worried about that. And like, I'm still to an extent worried about that because like these relationships, like I was trying to keep up with them and like, you know, come June, I like called out like a Zoom right. meeting with every client I've ever had just to see where they were at and see what's going on. And I would drop a line to this and drop a line to that. And now I'm at the point like it's not like I give up, but it's kind of just like, I'll talk to them when I talk to them. It's fine. I started taking a new approach and like just check in, like just to check in. Like, are you still alive? Like, what's happening? What are you guys <laughs> yeah. doing? I started looking at I brought up the, the whole unicorn thing. So I'm like, all right. I know I have skills. I know I could do more than just stretch fat. Let's now dissect them and see what they are and so mm -hmm. i started like taking my skills like project management is a word that i feel that in our industry it, it, we use the term loosely because like project yeah. management elsewhere way more intensive in certain industries like architecture it's heavily on the estimating side right that's the part that is like on steroids everything else that we do as project managers kind of like right. fades out yeah and it's that goes to another position and then like, I can be a draftsman. Am I really a draftsman? <laughs> like, <laughs> can I actually do that? No, I would be a junior draftsman if I started like somewhere that actually used draftsmen. Like if I went to an architectural firm with no architectural degree or training or this or that, I would probably be asked to draw architectural details. Like mm -hmm. here, you can draw like a mullion. I am a fabricator of sorts, but like if I, if I was put in charge of building a cabinet, I'd be fired. Can, you can manage and lead a crew. Yes. But what are these crews doing? Like in this other industry, like what what crew am I leading? I'm, I'm imagining like, for example, landscape architecture, people that do maintenance. You can lead those. Yeah, I can lead those, sure. I know I can do all of these things, but I would be starting at the bottom because I have no experience in any of these fields. And where would I go from there? Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize that's very much in my head because it's about the presentation of myself that could get me into those positions without having that particular experience behind me. And it's just a matter of how you present yourself. I took that and I tried to shift my resume mm -hmm. to be as ambiguous as possible <laughs> with uh, industry-wise. Right, like, right, you know, right, yeah. Take out some keywords. Okay, you know, take out luxury brand. Now right. it's just take out events call them projects yeah. don't call anything a show yeah yeah yeah. no it's perfect like i i did the same thing when i in 2019 i did my my profile there are some keywords that tell people if you're you come from let's say the fashion industry and you say that keyword it rings a bell for them but for everyone right. else it's just noise and i started to realize that so i started taking out those words and putting in different things and like taking a look at like, what did I do at SBI? Like, how can I rephrase this in a way that I can still use, but doesn't sound like the event world? Sure. And so I, I kind of like restructured it, talked about uh, client management and client retention and project management and estimating and this and that. And I reformulated my entire resume. I did a terrible job at it. Um, had Stevie look it over and he's like, you're not calling out anything that you did at SBI. And I was like, okay. 
So then I went back and I did it. And I was like, this looks good. This looks professional. This looks ambiguous enough to that it can fit into any industry. Of course, I just sent it out to everyone in our industry. <laughs> because why not? And all of the calls that I got back were business development requests. Okay. And I was like, interesting. Oh, okay. I think I need to reassess this. <laughs> Sure, there's an aspect of what I do yeah. that's, but I'm not. A, but then, like, you have that, like, like that existential, like, well, what the fuck do I do then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. Is no, this? It's only a, a sliver of what I do, and sometimes it takes over. It's right. kind of like now that I'm, you know, in, that I'm starting my coaching practice, there is this emphasis on like some keywords and introducing myself someone corrected me is like oh you work with your clients to make them achieve work-life balance and i'm like no i don't want to limit limit myself to that that's too limited right. sounds like rather hippie to me and then, and then that limits you that 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 pigeonholes you into that because there are people that just focus on that can we talk a little bit about your healthy habits well that's interesting because you're like how do I present myself? And then when someone gets to know you, you you come out, let's say like a guy that smokes like a chimney. Yep. You don't smoke your you smoke your jewel anymore? No. You quit that? Good. You always had your jewel in your mouth and the only time where I saw you stressed, the only time, I didn't see you stressed for like projects, estimates, <laughs> you know, building a show, striking a show, no stress. The only time you were stressed was when you couldn't find your jewel. Yep. That, yep. That yep. sent you into a frenzy. Panic yeah. attack. Panic attack. <laughs> um, I stopped. I stopped with the jewel for two reasons. One, it took me long enough to get there. The vape is worse than cigarettes ever were. Yeah. And that's because I suck on it everywhere. Yeah, on a plane, yeah. in my son's pediatrician's office. It didn't matter <laughs> where I was. In interviews, I, I went on a couple of interviews, and like when they left, I would look and realize that there was a haze in the room because I was just smoking it. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was my pacifier. Without a care of the world, just sucking on it, blowing on it, not thinking like, this might offend someone. This is unprofessional. <laughs> like, like none just, of that came Or just mind. look silly that I'm talking to you. Yeah, sucking on a USB stick. Yeah, so. In addition to that, you don't necessarily have or have had a balanced diet. You feed yourself of like, for example, gummies, mm -hmm. vending machine food. Yes. That, that was <laughs> And scavenging. Scavenging is actually my favorite work meal, <laughs> which is basically looking around, seeing what people haven't eaten yet, seeing what people left in the fridge, seeing if there's oh, that, that last piece of pizza. On the surface, you don't look like someone that is healthy. But at the same time, for example, you have some healthy habits that I think are very, very good. One of them is what you call off-gassing. <laughs> Can we explain what it is and what <laughs> what does? Off-gassing is releasing whatever's inside of you instead of repressing it right. and pretending that everything's okay. That's a wonderful way to put it. Yeah. If you have nervous energy, you let it out. Just like sing a song. Sing a, sing a song. Sing a song ridiculous. Just make noises. Sometimes it's just making noise. Like I, I have so many of these little like, de, 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 de. <laughs> like that way I can just sit there. Like I, if I can't scream, like de, 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 I'm gonna off gas through something else. I, I think it's where the, the fidget spinner frenzy came from. People started realizing that off gassing with their hands was good. 
And right, right, right. But I, but I do think this is sort of like it, it takes the shape of a joke sometimes because it becomes ridiculous. It's like, okay, you're in the middle of the workday, you're singing a silly song, but it mm -hmm. does serve a purpose. Like it actually Not works. Serves a there was one fashion week 15 years ago at this point where I had Funky Town in my head for two weeks straight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Walking around screaming that. Yeah, yeah. For like two weeks because it was a really stressful week. I had something like 23 shows and like I wasn't getting any sleep and Funky Town was just getting louder and louder and louder in my head. And for me, like the more stressed I am, like I always joke about how I have a fashion week song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Something lodges itself in my head and it just eats away at my brain like a virus. Yeah, it's yeah awful. when we were working on the Tom Ford show, there was that the Tom Ford show song. We kept on like singing the beginning Yep. We're like, yep. we're months on end. Every now and then it would be yeah. like, that's right. That's right. And it feels, sometimes you just got to let it out. Like, it just, it feels good. You look at kids that just scream for no reason. They do it because it feels good. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I practice it. I'm part of the school of the off-gassing. You also have another <laughs> habit that some people don't have, and this is leaving work at the workplace. I can be furious. I, I could be like completely overwhelmed, but like as soon as I leave, I just sing Funky Town and get to my car. <laughs> and that's the end of that. I wasn't always like that. Like I would like come home and like it just like overwhelmed and consumed me. I started to be of the school of if I'm working, I should be getting paid. And everything that I do for work, I feel I should be compensated for. It's work. Yeah. So if I'm answering a phone call from a client at 9 p.m., well, that's an hour's worth of work because like that's my time yeah, yeah. that you're now taking on. Like there was like, you know, when the 40 hour work week first came on, it was, you know, eight hours sleep, eight hours work, eight hours for what you will. Yeah. And so like with that in mind, anything that's from work that comes into your what you will, well, f that, that's your time. Yeah, yeah. So, so if I, you don't, if you're not able to leave work at the workplace, you're actually eating on those eight hours. That's right. Or on those that's 16 right. hours because sometimes you don't sleep. Yeah, those 16 hours, exactly. And, and like that's taking away from what's rightfully yours. Right. And I used to take like anger home with me and like I used to, you know, drink it away or whatever drug it away, take it out on somebody. And it's like, well, that sucks. Like, no, like, like why, why these people already own me during the day. They own my pride. They own my labor. They own my sweat. They, they own my focus. They own this. Like this person pays me so I can give them all of this because right. that's what work is. It's, it's all of those things. Like, is that fair? No. So when they're no longer paying me for all of those emotions, yeah. it, it, none of myself should be given to that. No, no. I, found, and, I find this like kind of like illuminating in the way you phrase it. Take control of the... I, yeah. I come from the, the, the standpoint of like, if that is, is yeah. your passion uh, and that's what you want to do with your life, then yes, work sleepless nights and don't eat until you accomplish it. But if it's not yours... I, I still don't believe in that. Like, I, I don't know how people do it. I, I, I mean, it's also why I never have 
a desire to own my own company because like right, right, right. It, it's necessity. During the, the heaviest years at SBI, like a 90 hour week was not unheard of. But I was getting right. paid for those 90 hours. Like, all right, well, fine. Right. Well, you, know, I, you know how many drones I'm gonna buy with this shit? It's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's interesting because it's like, it's the philosophy that works for you. I think it's coherent and also can be helpful for others. Most difficult challenges to overcome is not let the workplace in many ways affect your life. Right. Everyone wants your time. One of the things I did to help that along is I turned off all of the notifications on my phone. Um, right. So whereas like an email would pop up on my lock screen or even vibrate, I just turned all that shit off. If I want to see an email, I have to actively seek it. It took some training. I turned off the lock screen notifications for my texts too, because like I was getting clients texting me. And then I realized I'm going to use coherence as an excuse for clients not to text me. Mm -hmm. And I would tell them like, hey, do me a favor, send this to me an email because like I want to keep tracked all of our communications coherent. So yeah, so I can follow it all. And even though I mean like, they, they could send a carrier pigeon, a text and an email and I'll figure it out. But like, that was my excuse to get them out of my texts. Uh, get them out of your time. Otherwise you give them access to something that is the most precious value, which is not money, is time. Right. That starts to like quickly erode. And then my clients sometimes call me and say, you know, I really have a problem. And, uh, and they start to tell me the story. And they're like, so I was responding to this email yesterday. Yesterday was Sunday. Right. What were you doing? Yeah. You know, it, it starts and you start to analyze the problem from that standpoint and how people are reluctant to build barriers. In fact, they kind of like destroy the barriers and they kind of like give away the most important good that they have, right. which, is, which is time. And then, and then they spend a lot of energy trying to get it back. And, and then when you do that, you seem kind of like a <laughs> <laughs> So like, because like when, it, when anyone tries to do like a major change midstream, it seems yeah. Even if they're doing the right thing, it seems dramatic because all of a sudden, like the, the way they were is being dramatically changed, and I'm taking a stand. It's like, all right, calm down there, Turbo. You're going to answer this email tomorrow. It's fine. But if you set a precedent of being like, I just don't do that, I mean, there's, there's no way to 100% do it, but like, you have to commit to not giving a shit about it. And being like, I don't know, I'm just not doing that. <laughs> and like, that's it. And okay. and knowing that like, there's sometimes you're gonna have to, you're in the middle of a project and like it's going haywire. You build the, the exceptions in the system. Right, and, and you have to commit from the start. Like you have to start that yeah. way. Or you have to slowly transition out and train people like, no, you know, today I'm not doing that. Actually, as soon as I started at SBI, I, I decided like, this is how I'm doing SBI. Because like nobody knows me here, uh, nobody knows how I work. I am starting however I want, whoever I want, and I didn't even allow myself to get too friendly with people because I I didn't like the one thing that would drive me insane. Like you just worked like a 15-hour day, and everyone's like, let's go get a beer, and you're like, all right, great, like you can go get a beer and you're gonna off gas and then right. there's that guy who's drunk man i really hate when dude shut the fuck up like i, I just wanted <laughs> to have a beer stop talking about work <laughs> and so like i i entered sbi well like like i'm not gonna become buddy buddy with people it's just gonna be a professional place and like of course that erodes over time like it just it should erode over time like you should right. become friendly with the people that you spend the most amount of time with yeah but i always for the most part stood 
fairly firm on not showing who I was 100%. Uh, you were you were very careful in like how you present yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that. And, yeah. And, <laughs> there's another thing that fascinated me in one of your the ways you live your life which is like running things into the ground or pushing things to the limit and that's it seems that like when you tell a story out of context the other people can think like wow this guy's kind of crazy but then you realize as for the off-gassing that these things serve you a purpose. What is it? I, I actually, for years, did a little bit of a, a cost analysis on what it would cost to buy a brand new car and upkeep it the way that you're supposed to upkeep a car. Right. Change the tires, change the change, oil. I, I didn't even know that rotating tires was a thing until like uh, right. Stevie told me he did it recently. I was like, rotate tires? Who's rotate tires? A tire is round. What is there to rotate? <laughs> yeah, like, he's rotating. I didn't know. He's like, can you switch sides? Like, really? I didn't know they, okay. Like, I know you do that with skates. Like, I do that with, like, my, you know, rollerblades. I didn't know you did it with cars. I started, the first car I had, I got for free because my brother bought a car and gave me his car. So already I was starting, like, I was starting the positive on this new, like, let's see how much money I can spend on cars that I will just destroy versus what it would have cost to buy a really nice car sure. keep it for 10 years and like do what you're supposed to do and then i sold it for like i don't know i guess i sold it two years later for a thousand bucks and i took that thousand bucks and i put it towards another car i put another thousand on top of that so i bought a car for two thousand bucks but i only spent a thousand because i got that thousand right 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 so so far i'm four years in two cars and I've only spent a thousand bucks because I never got a oil change. <laughs> I never did anything to upkeep the car and I just drove the thing into the ground. The best part about that was when something went wrong, it was just like, well, I'm done with this. I'm not going to have a headache. I'm just going to get a new car. <laughs> I'm sure that served you well. I'm sure like from your cars to your boots then. then. Yeah, it did. And, and like I started putting a little bit more money into the cars. So sure. like then like instead of getting a $2,000 car, I got a $4,000 car next time. And then it'll be like, all right, if a $2,000 car lasted me two years, then $4,000 car needs to last four years. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, that's how we're going to have to do it. And maybe I'll get an oil change, but maybe, I, I'm maybe. not going to, yeah, maybe, <laughs> but like, I'm not going to do the rest of this shit. I don't care. And, and like, you know, my friend Mike would yell at me like, dude, just put fluids in your car. That's all you need to do. Just fluids. That's what like. you just put fluids <laughs> no. in your car. I'm like, nope, nope. I, I got to see. And I would just drive them into the ground. Like, but was literally. it was the, the, the goal also to like see how far you could push things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it, I mean, it was a game. My last car, the wheels were like, they, they were worn down to nothing and i didn't even get winter tires which i hear people like oh i put my winter tires on like, where do you keep the other tires like, where do you have room for this how do you do this ignorance <clears throat> is bliss yeah like how do you have money for this that sounds so expensive <laughs> and so yeah. it had snowed maybe two inches two inches should not be a problem no and i was basically just driving home sideways <laughs> because <laughs> there was no traction And like, as terrifying as that was, it was fun. And it was like, let's see how far I can go with this. Okay. Like, going down a hill, this is going to be terrifying. But, But I'm sure I'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> Now, th th it's not something I would ever tell anyone else to do. But Yeah, recommend I, to other yeah. people. 
I, I find I find it to be fun because it's just like, all right, well, let's see how far this can go. I mean, it, it's good to test the limits of everything that you have. Some time ago, you and I also started an Instagram account that was named Kevin Eating Coach. Well, you Why? started the Instagram account. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Let me rephrase it. Yeah. I, after observation of your eating habits, I I thought yeah. it was funny to make a parody account of a real diet mentor yeah. of some sort, and, and I called it Kevin Eating Coach, and of course it was all the wrong stuff. Yes, and, and I fully support but, that. But <laughs> yes, but to you, why are coaches funny? I feel like the health coaches, by and large, I, I, I can't say all of them. Of course, there's some wonderful people out there that are trying to do good for the world. But they're exploiting people's weaknesses, especially in the health and fitness mm. coaching world, where everyone has been conditioned to, like, you know, like, be who you are, love yourself, body positivity, this, that, and the other thing. I don't necessarily agree with all that stuff, but... I feel that health coaches and things like that prey on that insecurity. Mm. And they're there to accept the people that feel that they're supposed to be a certain way at that moment in time. I see. Um, like they, they're just, they're just kind of like, they're like waiting for a person who's like, I'm 35. I should be doing this and married healthy and this is the time i should really be focusing on yoga and it's like what are you basing that on what is this should especially with like eating fads and something could be wonderful and i'll just wind up disliking it because i know it's just a fucking eating fad like matcha is probably fantastic <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not gonna go to the counter and order it <laughs> no, and you're, no. it's probably wonderful but i've never yeah and you're also right tried. i created that instagram account i didn't want to suck you in that's that. right so it was all my, right. my brainchild. Yeah, but I saw what you were doing and I was like, no, this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> totally disappointed. It was funny. It was it was really yeah. funny. And uh, but I couldn't muster like the real reason why I did it just because it was something to make fun of. I mean the fact that you had like real fitness coaches like commenting on it, like, love this. Just like, did you read this? Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting <laughs> comical thing because you we were playing on that thin line that is like catering to the people that are really serious about that. Like the people that are really serious about the event industry, what we do, we're like the military. We're catering to that same ego of oh, you know, fitness, and this is amazing, and coaching, and this is amazing, in a negative way, saying, like, absurd things, like the importance of snacking, and we would take pictures of the most absurd snacks, and kind of... Crumbs of Cheetos. Put more bread in your <laughs> diet, or, you know, avoid veggies. You know, we had a whole post about, or, or I remember the post said something like, veggies say, at least we're not fruit, or something. Like right. That. Yeah. And, and that was that was the other thing that that irks me about that world is because you wrote that utter nonsense, a complete and total nonsense. Yeah. But it sounds like something that someone would say, and it's just for social media clout and presence, so someone can gravitate to something. And, and at some point in time, I was uh, on my phone, mindlessly scrolling through Facebook, and like I would stop and read about someone's day. And then I would stop and read about some conversation that they probably didn't actually have with their child, but they said they did. 
Right. I finally was like, yeah, I don't, why am I reading this? Getting back to the time. Why am I giving you my time? And I just turned it off and like, I never looked. I sure. know that social media can do wonders for, for society. It, it could have been, it could have been humanity's best invention. But yeah. it's not. It's an experiment going like, like, I, I know people who found support groups for cancer and this and that, and like things that really built them up. I'm like, that's great. And then there's everything else. <laughs> yes. And then there's the 99%. Yeah. <laughs> to close this up, what are the words that you, or one word that you would like to erase from the English oh, vocabulary? Iconic. Oh, wow. Okay, good one. I feel like, for me, is like the mother of all the overused bullshit. The word itself musters up this, like, think of like this towering, like, yeah, like this huge, shining, towering image. Because if you're wearing like a shirt and they're like, oh my God, that's iconic. Like, no, you idiot. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, where did that come from? Why? <laughs> so, so today my word is iconic and last year. Time to wrap up this episode. Certo, certo. Soon there will be more interviews with stimulating and amusing people from the entertainment industry and beyond. So remember, everyone is a coach. Don't forget to also check out our website, ctacoaches.com slash coachingdeepwork. Ciao, ciao.